Welcome to the Visual Artist Spotlight, the podcast where we interview artists from around the world, discovering how their world inspires their art. I'm your host, Miko Hayashi, leader of the Stitch and Bitch Club on Clubhouse and owner of Mimi Hana Threads, a handmade 3D embroidery company that creates beautiful wearable art accessories. Today's guest is Lauren Rose, an American artist currently living in Tokyo. But Lauren, welcome and thank you for being my very first guinea pig. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, uh, Lauren, why don't you introduce yourself first? Sure. Um, my name is Lauren Rose. Uh, Rose is my last name. And um, I moved to Tokyo about in November 2020. I'm originally from the United States. I've lived in New York, Florida, and California before moving abroad. And I have a background actually in counseling. Uh, so, Uh, I think that having that technical training in counseling uh, really puts me in the mindset of、um, intentionality, which is kind of it's a nice, easy flow into、uh, art. And I've always been an artist. I've always really enjoyed making things with my hands.、Uh, and now that I live abroad, I've been so inspired by everything around me that I like, can't contain it. I have to create.、Um, And so recently I've moved into paper art, and I know some of, well, we'll be talking more in depth about that, but I went from acrylic art, I, I dabbled in、um, watercolor and gouache, and、um, I even bought a bunch of polymer clay. So I really am a Jill of all trades, but most recently paper has kind of stuck to me, and I really enjoy. Working with paper arts. Oh, thank you.、Um, it sounds like you've moved around quite a lot then. Yes.、Um, I was born in New York and I lived there for the first eight years, nine years of my life. So I will always claim to be a New Yorker.、Uh, and then my family moved me down to Florida when I was younger. And I lived in Florida up until I graduated from、uh, university with my master's in counseling. And after that, I moved to San Francisco with my. Fiance at the time, now husband.、Uh, and yeah, I love traveling. I've always been a traveler at heart. It's been my dream to live abroad. And I didn't know how it was going to happen. I studied abroad in college.、Um, and I thought, like, oh, that's it, just you know, one semester abroad. But then my husband got the opportunity to work for his company in Singapore. And Of course, it was an easy answer. It's like, yes, I don't even know where Singapore is, but I'm going. And so <laughs>、um, that's, that was how we started this adventure abroad now. Well, what inspired you to start traveling? Like, what was inside you from the very beginning that made you say, I don't want to stay in one place? I just need to keep moving. <laughs> Have you ever been to Florida before? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think so. For me, Florida is a wonderful place to go.、Um, if you know you want to live that slow life, if you like the beach, I hate the beach. I'm a redhead. I have very pale skin and I'm allergic to the sun. So、um, a lot of it is driven from a desire to see what else is out there. To meet people and to just, it's kind of selfishly to just expose myself to as many different people and cultures and just to understand what the world is about.、Um, again, it's that counseling part of me that's 
I really want to know people um, on a deeper level. And so um, I find that traveling is the best way to do that because you can read about someone in a book or, you know, see pictures and you get an idea, but it's, it's nothing like just being immersed. And so um, when I was in high school, I was all about France and I loved French culture and, you know, and what high school girl doesn't who wants to go into fashion. Uh, but uh, then I went to France and then I traveled around Europe a little bit afterwards. And I, it's, it's just nothing like being there. Like you see pictures of the Colosseum in Rome, but it's nothing like, I mean, I did the big no-no, but I reached out and I touched the wall. And, you know, it's been there for thousands of years. And I just so much respect for that history. Um, and then being here in Japan and, you know, you in the middle of the city, there's this castle that's been here for you know, thousands of years, the ruins of the castle. But just the idea that these people and places have existed and will continue to exist so much longer um, than we will ever, you know, breathe air on this earth is just it's mm -hmm. so inspiring to me. <laughs> That's my, my yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I I I totally get um what you mean. It's uh definitely inspiring um to you know be in a place that is not like what you're used to to what you're growing up and is actually you know America is a very new country comparatively to all of the other countries that exist and yes. To be from a country that is still in its teenager years to, you know, something as old as Japan or China or, you know, even in Italy, you know, that I, I yeah, it's it's sort of a eye opening experience. Um, so how how does how do these experiences, these um, new experiences, how do they um, shape your art? Well, a lot of times. I'm, I don't speak the language in the places where I go. I'm still learning mm -hmm. Japanese, actually. <laughs> so, um, and I, I spoke just enough French to like order at a restaurant while I was living there. And Italy, we learned a couple of, you know, just a couple of phrases. But I find that the fastest, best way to get immersed in a culture is to eat. Um, and I am not a picky eater. I will eat almost anything that's put in front of me. And so... Uh, that's how I find myself immersing uh, with new cultures. And it's the easiest stepping stone. So when we went, we when we lived in Singapore, we were able to travel around to many Southeast Asian countries because Singapore is kind of a travel hub. Um, so we went to Vietnam, we've been to the Philippines and Malaysia, and um, Taiwan is not in Southeast Asia, but we went to Taiwan. And I feel like I'm missing places, but Tom in Indonesia. And every time we went to one of these new countries, my husband and I would book a food tour um, with an English speaking guide who could kind of explain to us what we were eating. And not only are we eating the food, but we're also getting to know this person who lives here, who we can ask our you know weird questions to. The best one was in Vietnam. We went on a food tour where the guides um, they were, it was women run. So they were all women and they took you on the back of a, a moped motorcycle type thing. And, um, it, as they took you from place to place around the city and it was fascinating. I get to sit, sit there and chat with my guide about 
the pains of a mother-in-law, the pressure of having to find a job and earn money, um, with pressure to have children as a woman. And it was just so wonderful to get to know her on that deeper level and to really connect um, and to just kind of know the human experience is so similar no matter where you live. Like we all just want to live, you know, live and survive comfortably. We want to eat. We want to be loved. Um, and yeah, uh, I forgot the original question, but <laughs> that's just kind of uh, food is a lot of, of where my inspiration comes from. Oh, okay. So yeah. then I, I guess the question was, um, how does it, how do you feel it shapes your experiences, shape your art? Yeah, that's it. The food shapes my art. Um, so how do I, the food, I want the people who see my art um, to get literally a taste of what I'm experiencing. Um, so the, the easiest way for me to connect with a culture is through food. So I want my audience to connect and find an easy way in, um, an easy way to also to connect with that culture. So food is the main subject of my artwork. Um, I do a couple, I do Fuji, um, and it's so renowned. I feel like Fuji is a very much, um, it's obviously a landmark, um, but a lot of the other work that I do is food. So maybe you see my work and I, you see an onigiri and you're like, what is this rice ball? Um, but because you've seen my artwork, um, maybe you've read a couple of the descriptions. Um, if a lot of my audience is not necessarily in Japan. So when they're, you know, walking around their cities or their towns and they see this rice ball, they could say, oh, wait, that sounds familiar. Like, I think I saw that on Lauren's Instagram or artwork. Let me let me try it. Um, it. It takes a lot of the mystery out of it. So I'm really just trying to connect people, um, make it a little bit easier to connect to other cultures that seem foreign to them. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how you um, were transitioning from, let's say you said first polymer clay and also acrylics and now it's um, paper quilling. Um, how did that transition or evolution happen? Um, well, my dad paints, um, and he's been a, he's he painted with oils as we were growing up. Um, so I've always been around crafts and art. And so I think when I was a kid, acrylic paint was the like least toxic. <laughs> so that was what we were allowed to play with. Um, we, there were also watercolors there, but you know that's play. That's child's play, and and it helps to like like I don't want to say get it out, but to experiment. Um, but. I don't know. I've originally have been drawn to acrylics. Um, I like the the dense, bold colors that acrylic can offer. And while I was living in San Francisco, I took a uh, an acrylic painting course, which taught me some more techniques and about values and making color palettes and and actually gave me like the foundation of acrylics. Um, so I was doing acrylic for a while. A friend and I, like, we bought a watercolor book from someone she followed on Instagram and really wanted to do. So we met and did, like, watercolor out of a textbook for maybe two or three times. It's kind of just, like, whatever is inspiring me at the time. I think the polymer clay was on sale at the art store, so I just bought it. Um, but when it came to the paper quilling, um, I was living in Singapore, and a friend of mine uh, follows or 
purchased some um, earring, quilled earrings from a local artist, and that artist was hosting a workshop. This was right when lockdown in Singapore had lifted. So she and I hadn't seen each other in a while, and she said, hey, like, would you be interested in going to this class with me? I had never heard of quilling before. Like, I'd never heard about it. I didn't even follow this woman's art on Instagram, but I'm always down to learn something new. And also, I just wanted to spend time with my friend. So um, I said yes. And that's how I was introduced to the art of paper quilling. Um, we made these earrings. They were like tulips in a pot. Uh, so she taught a couple of different techniques. And then from there, I just actually, while we were in the workshop, my friend was like, Lauren, you paint and you do things, you're creative, you should do this, you should do this paper. And so, and part something about me, and I'm actually quite resistant to new things at first, especially if it's like not my idea, I can be a bit stubborn. So I was like, no, I don't want to, you know, like in my head, I'm like, ugh, like, I'm not going to just make something because you tell me to make it. I don't know if you can relate to that as an artist, but you get um, a lot of suggestions. Uh, you should do yeah. this, you should do that. <laughs> Yeah, I've gotten that. Yeah. (laughs) And while I appreciate it and, you know, that they think I'm so talented or they think that, you know, that they can see my work in in ways that I cannot. Um, Sometimes being an artist, you really just want to create what you want to create. So I was, you know, a little salty. and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. But I was already going to paint her something with acrylic paint. Um, And one day I was riding my bike around Singapore. We had rented bikes. And anyway, that's a different story. Um, I was just thinking about the painting I was making for her. And then I thought it would be pretty cool to add some quilled pieces onto this uh, acrylic painting. Uh, Because to honor our time that she and I spent together, this new skill that I picked up while I was with my friend, And so I made a Mickey and Minnie painting and I quilled the mini bows, um, the red bows out of paper. And then I attached those to the painting. And once I bought the supplies and and did it in a way or played with the paper in a way that was less um, structured, I like fell in love with it. I started once I finished with the bows, I was making a bunch of different designs and I was just playing around with the paper because there was a lot less, there was no pressure. Um, And I, that's kind of just when I fell in love with it. At that time, I knew we were moving to Japan, so I couldn't, or I refused to buy more paper because that meant I would have to move it. So um, I had to wait until we got to Japan to order more supplies. And then that ended up being like a month and a half of waiting. So I would like write down all my ideas and I would sketch them out. So now that I'm here and I'm more settled in Japan, I feel like I've had all these ideas just marinating in my mind, just waiting to come out. I feel and then on top of it, I have all these new ideas from living in Japan and not Singapore um, that it's like a battle for which one's going to come out first. And um, I've been leaning more towards the Japan themed, the Japan inspired pieces lately. Um, so that's the evolution of kind of how I've gotten to paper quilling. Um, it's been a fun journey. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, um, I mean, it's very interesting on how um, the location that you're in also influences, you know, what you're 
you put into your art. And um, I think that's why um, I felt like this would be a very interesting interview because not many artists um, have the experience of being able to move country to country and actually live there and have that be a part of their artwork as well. So it's a very, um, it's a very fortunate way that you're able to express yourself, I think. Yes, I, I agree. Um, if you had asked me that when I first moved to Singapore, I would not have agreed. <laughs> it was quite a struggle. I was looking for a full-time job. I was you know, still very much stuck in the mindset of I have to work full-time and I have to use this degree that I earned. Um, but now I have found a really good balance where I do use my counseling degree um, and I find ways that my degree shows up in my artwork. Um, it, I find ways that my you know, formal education shows up in the way I interact with people, the way I communicate, um, because I was very much like, I've got to use this degree. I have to use it. Um, but I'm so much happier now that I've let that go and I can focus on my artwork and, and allow myself to be inspired and to let go of the shoulds of whatever society pressure I feel to use this formal education. Yeah. This, yeah, I totally agree. Um, do you, so my next question is, um, what is challenging about making art while living in a different country? Supplies. First of all, finding supplies and getting supplies. Um, as I mentioned, I, I did, I did a lot of acrylic painting and I, before I really immersed myself in the paper art, um, I had this strong desire to create and paint uh, note cards and postcards. And I have these, uh, my, when my parents visited Singapore from the United States back in 2019, I guess, uh, they had brought with them something I had ordered on Amazon to their house. Um, it was like a pack of note cards and it's, they're the perfect thickness, they're the perfect paper, they're the perfect fold, perfect size. And I thought, oh, it's Japan is, when I move to Japan, it won't be a problem to find this kind of paper. They're so into paper products here, no problem. I have not been able to find these bifold note cards anywhere for the life of me. So I've really had to shift gears and I started actually painting postcards instead of note cards. Although I've been to Sakaido and I started like sampling, I'm looking into cutting my own note cards. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, but these, this quilling, the, there are specific papers for quilling. Um, companies make them where the paper is already cut into strips. Usually the, the width is um, three millimeters, five millimeters or a centimeter. Um, but since moving to Japan, I could have them shipped to me, um, but I have so much access to beautiful paper here that it feels kind of like a waste to buy paper that's mass produced somewhere and pre-cut, although that is that does make the process more efficient. Lately, I've been um, going to Sakaido to their paper floor and I just pull like one of every color um, and it's an A5 piece of paper and the thickness varies depending on you know, the color and I don't know, they have different options. Um, so I've been picking the colors uh, based on what's inspiring me that day. And then I bring it home and I cut it myself. And that way I can have a variety of um, thicknesses, a variety of 
colors that aren't necessarily available online. Um, also, I don't have to worry about it getting crushed in the mail. The people at Sakaido probably think I'm nuts because I bring this like um, plastic, mm -hmm. like those plastic folders that are yeah. really popular here that I love, like these those plastic sleeves. And I'm like, can you put my paper in here, please? And then put it in your paper bag <laughs> because I take the train and I don't want to bump into yeah. anything and have bent corners. Um, and they've been really nice at Sakaido and they good. accommodate for me. <laughs> Yeah, so supplies is the hardest part, I think, the mm -hmm. most challenging part about um, uh, working abroad and creating art abroad. I see. Um, how do you see your life in Japan shaping the way you think creatively in the future? Well, I love the Japanese idea of, or the concept of minimalism, um, just the very clean and simple lines I find are so beautiful. Uh, life is so chaotic, so our surroundings and the things we surround ourselves with should be serene and soothing um, to give you a little bit of that escape. Um, so I try to to keep that in my artwork, that, that simple, intentional um, lines and design. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, just the quality of, of supplies that I can find here the types of papers um, I'm going to, or I'm starting a series where I'm including washi paper into my artwork. Um, just, I've been experimenting with that. Haven't released anything yet. Um, uh, but also, do you mind, sorry to yeah. interrupt. Do you mind mm -hmm. explaining to those who might not know what washi paper is? Sure. And maybe you can help me because I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, <laughs> but from my understanding, it's, it's a paper with a design on it and um, it's beautiful and it tends to be a little thinner on the thinner side. Yes. If you can please elaborate. Do you oh, know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, washi yeah. is uh, the kanji for washi is um, well, wa typically means balance or harmony, but also it's ten. It's also a reference to Japan um, in general. And then she, the kanji for that is paper. So the literal translation would probably be um, balanced paper or Japanese paper. Um, and it's an artwork of its own where they create different types of paper, often with natural materials, and they um, it's often handmade and hand-pressed and um, various thicknesses, um, various colors. Uh, some have a Japanese pattern, some have more of a natural fibrous pattern. Um, it's also um, mostly thin, but it's used for wrapping and also used for um, uh, maybe making cards or decorations and um, anything. Yeah, so that's the basic gist of what washi is. Okay, Lauren, go ahead. You can continue. <laughs> Thank you. No, I love that. You taught me something new today. Because <laughs> um, I've only heard of, I just, I didn't know all that, those details of what it actually meant. I've just heard of this famous washi paper and washi tapes. Um, so yeah, I've been experimenting with that. I haven't purchased any of the fine art handmade washi paper yet because like I said I'm experimenting so I experiment with the cheap stuff um, but it's been really fun and I have a lot of ideas for how my artwork can evolve using the materials that I can more easily find here in Japan. 
Uh, yeah, I, I also yeah, that's a very good thing to take advantage of where you are and how and incorporate that into your artwork as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of what how I did that in Singapore. I think I was just very inspired by bubble tea because I was on a huge bubble tea kick. Uh, tapioca balls. Tokyo um, as well. Uh, Tokyo was also. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of glad since moving to Tokyo, I've um, I've shifted gears and now I'm obsessed with taiyaki, which I is I think healthier. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's a little bit healthier than bubble tea. <laughs> um, it's a lot of sugar, it's but just, yeah, yeah, it's not quite as. Oh, and I think he's not as much of a sugar bomb as uh, bubble tea, but that's probably um, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's wonderful. I, I love living abroad. I love meeting meeting new people and trying new foods. And um, it's you know, of course, it has its challenges, um, but it's it's worth it. Um, most days, it's worth it. The last question is, um, where do you see yourself 10 years from now when it comes to creating and being an artist? Well, who knows what country I'll be living in. (laughs) My husband and I, we talk about, um, well, his contract is only for two years here in Japan, but I know we're only a couple of months in, but we love it here. So we hope that we're still here in Japan. Uh, But if not, uh, we are open to moving to other countries or we may just move back to the United States. Um, so who knows where my inspiration will be coming from, but I, I've, like I said, I've only been here in Japan for a few months, but I feel like it's kind of nestled its way into my heart, and it's definitely something I will keep with me, these experiences. We also talked about earlier how um, I started, you know, I played with polymer clay and I've done acrylic and watercolor. Um, and it's really all about uh, trying new things. Um, I pride myself on being a lifelong learner. Um, so who knows what new techniques will come my way um, throughout life. 10 years is a long time. Um, so maybe a friend will invite me to another workshop and I will learn something new. Um, actually, I went to the Tokyo Art Studio in Minato-ku, and I took a class on, or just a, a one-hour, two-hour workshop on intuitive painting. Um, it was so fun to like play with a sponge and acrylic paints and not really care about the end results. Uh, like it, it just kind of got my creative juices flowing. And um, I'm also going to a class, um, Kintsugi class, uh, where I will be... Uh, that the Japanese art of fixing porcelain or ceramics with gold. Uh, So I'm so excited to learn that art. And yeah, so I couldn't tell you where I'll be, but I do absolutely know that no matter where I am or what stage of my personal life, I will always be creating. Uh, Maybe I'll be like doing arts and crafts with my kids or something, but uh, future kids, Um, but I don't know. no matter what, I will be creating, and I just hope to continue to bring others joy um, and peace of mind with my artwork. Uh, thank you so much, Lauren. It's a really great answer. Um, yeah, I, you, you seem to be on the move so so often that it's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, would you rather... If, so the, would you rather stay in Asia, or would you rather 
be somewhere like Europe or um, maybe Africa or Middle East? I mean, is there anything that that attracts you more than another place? Well, I had never been to Asia. I hadn't even been to Singapore before we moved there. Uh, we did not take an exploratory trip or anything, um, which is probably for the best because it's very hot in Singapore and it would have been a huge consideration in the move. Um, it's, it's like 40 degrees Celsius every day there. It's on the equator, but that's neither here nor that. Um, you know, I, I lived in France for a semester and I loved, I loved it. Um, I don't know. I, I would, I try not to put too many, um, like specifics on my life because I never could have imagined moving to San Francisco. I could never have imagined moving to Singapore. So I think by not really putting, I, I'm very much go with the flow. So I try not to put too much specifics because I I feel like it could limit me if I'm, I have my mind set on something. I'd rather just have an opportunity show up and then agree and then like weigh out the pros and cons and decide whether or not to take it. Um, I would live in Europe. I would live in Africa. I would live in other countries in Asia. The only place I absolutely will not live again is Florida. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Florida. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry if there's any Floridians in the room. Um, it's uh, We can talk about it separately if you want. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and, and I know we're, we're wrapping up now, but part of this is I, I am, I do identify as Jewish and um, being Jewish does bring a whole other layer of considerations um, for example, in Malaysia, if you have an Israeli passport, you can't even come into Malaysia. Um, even in France, while I was there, I had to be a little bit more on edge. I couldn't wear any um, Judaica on my body. I just, you just don't want to invite anything, um, any negative attention. So I find that in Asia, especially Singapore, surprisingly, people are so, uh, are more welcoming of other cultures and other um uh, religion that I don't fear for my safety in when I'm living in Asia. And I think that even in the U.S., I would be a little bit more cautious depending on what um, state and what city I've been living in, um, where, you know, I wouldn't necessarily wear my Star of David necklace. But here in Asia, I don't feel that same level of discomfort or um, fear of my safety when I do that. So, I really enjoy that part of living here in Asia. Wow, that's actually interesting. I didn't realize um, that, you know, that would have such a huge effect. Um, well, I mean, I, uh, especially in Malaysia, that, I mean, that surprises <laughs> me because Malaysia is such a mixed country already. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, wow, um, that's uh, very, um, that's interesting to learn. And I'm sorry for um, uh, that experience that you had in France. Yeah, no, no, it's, um, I, yeah, sorry to get real deep at the end. No, no, <laughs> um, Yeah, um, and, and here in Japan, we have found an incredible community of Jewish people who've, you know, just shown me where the grocery store is. And, um, you know, they take us for a drive around and they point out, you know, where we can, um, take our dog to the groomers and the vet and, you know, where we have some English speaking resources. Um, it, it's just been fabulous. And I wouldn't have normally have connected 
Um, but when you move abroad, you got to kind of like hone into your groups and what group do I belong to that I feel like I can kind of pull on, on those connections. And um, it's been fabulous being a Jew in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm really happy to hear that. I also want to say by no means am I an expert on Jewish relations around the world. <laughs> I just wanted to say when I was living in Singapore and I visited Malaysia, it was just one of those topics that came up. I see. Because um, my, yeah, my husband works for an Israeli company. And when he did work in Malaysia, they could not tell the other companies that they were an Israeli company. They would say that they were an American startup, which they kind of are, but I see. Anyway. Wow. Huh. (laughs) It's a different perspective uh, that, you know, not most people would would normally Mm -hmm. think about. So um, thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the platform and the and the the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Feel free, you guys, to find me on Instagram. My handle is at Rose underscore studios. Um, I have I'm I'm working on a collection of Fuji's Fuji-san. Um, so if you want a piece for yourself, you can have one custom ordered or you can wait until I release my collection. Um, Miko, I think you had given me a great recommendation. Um, Sunset Fuji. Was that, was that you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I love that. I will absolutely, I'm so inspired by that. I will be making a Fuji song that's inspired by the sunset. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Mount Fuji in the sunset, but it's very beautiful um, the since the sun tends to set behind Mount Fuji, it's a silhouette of the mountain, but the sky behind it is very bright and beautiful. I'm so glad that we talked because that's not what I was thinking. So now I have two ideas <laughs> for how to, to, to do that. Mm-hmm. The, well, at least from Tokyo's perspective, that's what it looks like. Um, but for the sunset also at the certain time of the year if the sun sets on top of mount fuji directly they call that diamond fuji because it looks like a diamond on top of mount fuji i need to do some research (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) they're all there's so many different names for um the different states of mount fuji so it's uh, very interesting for you to look at and also um if you need more inspiration of course um uh hokusai the ukiyo-e um, woodblock printer yeah the very famous one he had of course many different views awesome. of mount fuji. yeah i'm gonna check it out thank you so i love talking to you <laughs> i from some of our other clubhouses i have um i have butcher paper on my art desk and i have all these notes from talking to you about things to do and places to see in japan and like my my desk is like covered in notes um of miko's suggestions <laughs> thank you you're welcome <laughs> Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening in. And Lauren, thank you so much for your time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And thank you all for listening in. Thank you, Mika. That was Lauren Rose, a paper quill artist, an acrylic artist living in Tokyo and a frequent traveler of the world. Join us next time when I interview a tattoo artist living in San Francisco who is inspired by Japanese ukiyo woodblockers. This has been the Visual Artist Spotlight. 
make sure to visit my Instagram at Mimi Hana Threads, which is M I M I H A N A T H R E A D S, where you can find out when new artist interviews will happen. Also, please subscribe to my blog at smallbusinesshop.com slash mimi-embroidery-blog. We will post all of the past interviews on this blog, including the podcast recording and the transcript. Make sure you subscribe to see when you get the latest updates. This has been the Visual Artist Spotlight. Thank you for listening.